Welcome to Mentors on the Mic podcast. I'm your host, Michelle Simone Miller, a New York City native actress with credits in film, television, off-Broadway, and commercials. Every Monday, I'll bring you an incredible mentor in the entertainment industry, focusing on how they started and how they moved up to where they are today. My goal is to encourage you to follow your dreams and give you a playbook on how to get there. Thanks for listening and let the episode begin. Happy Mentor Monday, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Mentors on the Mic podcast. This interview is with the lovely and talented casting director, Allison Kirshner. She is a casting associate at Gail Keller Casting. And she's phenomenal. I've known her for so, so long and, you know, for 10 years maybe. Um, And she was one of the first casting directors that I took a class with and went, wow, she's so nice. And it's not that the other casting directors aren't nice. It's just that Allison is just one of those people that makes you feel good in the room. And that's not the same for everybody. And I, she's just a kind heart. And so for someone who I sort of shared on the podcast, I've had some anxiety and definitely in the beginning of my career, uh, had way more anxiety and more stress about the auditioning process. And it was just so nice to feel like there's someone in our corner. And I think all of the casting directors out there, especially the ones in New York, want you to feel like you're, they're in your corner. But, I, you know, Allison really just, for me anyway, has always made me feel really good about that. And she's worked on so many amazing projects, everything from Girl Most Likely, House of Cards, Louie, Inside Amy Schumer, The Big Sick, Crashing, The Detour, um, the list goes on and on, The King of Staten Island. So she's worked on all these projects, and she's a staple in your casting right now. And Crashing in specific, I asked her about, because I booked a role on Crashing with Allison, and uh, it was canceled after I went on the fitting. So before I, I shot the project and after the fitting. And it's happened to me before. This has happened to me with another project, uh, The Night Of. And when that happened, I was told later by casting directors and agents that I should have asked for, my representation should have asked to be paid for that day. Um, And so after this happened, I called my agent and I was like, hey, Um, after I got over the disappointment of having it be cut or canceled, I called my agent and said, hey, I heard that we could get paid for that day because technically they booked me for the day and I went to a fitting and I think under SAG rules, I'm allowed to get, um, I'm allowed to get paid for that one day of shooting that I didn't do. And my agent told me, listen, I I wouldn't, I'd never heard of that. I wouldn't recommend doing it because it would take away, like, you know, perhaps she's like, I think you'd be blacklisted from that office. I don't think their office would call you back in again. And I called SAG and I got, you know, sort of the heads up that this was completely good to do. And um, I was entitled to be paid for that one day. And I kind of, and I shared that with my agent. My agent kind of made it sort of about me. I saw her emails to casting and it was a lot like, Michelle wants to know if she could get paid for it. No longer with this agent, mind you. And I just wanted to check with Allison what I already kind of felt like I knew, which was, is that something that they look poorly on with an actor if they they insist on getting paid for a day's work that like they're supposed to under SAG rules? 
um, is that something that they hold against you? So we talk about that. And we talked about the projects that she's currently working on, including she just finished up two series and she's now working on two films. One is a Judd Apatow film and one is an indie film. So very excited about both those projects. And we also got a couple questions from actors who um, I played their questions on the uh, podcast and they're so good and I just can't wait for you to hear it. So without further ado, here's Allison Kirshner. Well, welcome to Mentors on the Mic, Allison. I'm so happy to have you and grateful and just so like really tickled and excited because of how long I've known you. And I've said it before and I'll say it again. You're one of the first casting directors that I've met in this industry. I've always had the nicest things to say about you and your classes and your teaching. But I would like to know, Allison, what was your first role in the entertainment industry? My first role or my first job? First job. First job. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Okay, my first job was actually with Stephanie Holbrook, who you know very well too, right? Yes, yes, yes. wonderful. Yeah, um, she hired me to do a pilot with her. I think it was for True TV. And it was my first casting assistant job. I mean, before that, I had done a couple of internships. I had interned at the CW for pilot season with Mikey Highbrun. I, I interned, who else, with Bonnie Finnegan and Steven Jacobs. I think it was on one of their seasons of Royal Pains. What else did I intern? Oh, Liz Lewis Casting. Um, I did some intern uh, interning for them on, during a summer once. So at that point, I had three internships under my belt. And I think it was Mikey who might have introduced me to Stephanie Holbrook, who was mm. looking for a casting assistant. And yeah, and, we, and it was my first job and many, many years ago. <laughs> And yeah, and then I just ended up jumping around after that to different offices until I landed with Gail Keller and I've been with her for now. Oh my gosh. A while. while. Like yeah. Not, it's nine or 10 years at this point. Oh my God. That's so yeah. great. That says a lot, actually. Is it still, that's still the norm, it seems like, right? Even now, like to do internships and casting before you even get that first assistant job, right? I think so. I think so. Because the thing about these jobs is that they come on very quickly when you get a casting job, you know, a lot of times it's very rare that you'll get a heads up like, oh, we want to hire you. And it was going to, it's going to start in a couple of weeks or something like that. It's usually like, oh, we want to hire you. And can you start today? <laughs> you know, it's very, these jobs are very quick turnarounds. So it's very hard to have time to train somebody. So mm. I think the beauty of an internship is that they, that's kind of their train It's the training time. It's the time to learn how to do the job so that when it's time to actually hire an, a casting assistant, you know, you could just jump right in, you know, internships are still a thing. We actually have been, a lot of our interns have come through a certain particular program called the Tepper semester program, mm -hmm. which is through Syracuse university. And it's actually, I mean, I wish that they had this when I was in college, but now, I mean, it's amazing that they offer this now. It's basically, we're like, you get a semester interning. It's for for students who are either looking to get into acting or casting and you do a semester interning with a casting director. So it's, so yeah, cool. I've actually, my current assistant right now is, wasn't, was in the Tepper semester program. It's amazing. Um, we ended up hiring her right when she graduated. She, she is amazing. So yeah, that's you typically where we get our interns from is this particular program. And why did you get into casting? Why, why that of all things? To give you a bit of history, I went to Penn State for, um, to get a BA in, at theater. I, I was pursuing acting. And then 
as the years went by in school and I started doing internships at like Liz Lewis, I started realizing, oh, this is something I actually really like because not only did it satisfy the, I would say like business side, of, like the creative side of my brain, but it also satisfied the business side of my brain, which I never really tapped into before. And I think it kind of gave me the best of both worlds. I'm so glad I did go through the theater program because I think it really helps me relate to actors on a certain level, you know, in terms of like communicating during, you know, when I'm adjusting them in the room and stuff. But yeah, I, it's funny. I actually had one of my acting teachers said to me, you know, you're, you're very good at what you do, but I could really see you being in casting. And Mm. it kind of, it was interesting that she said that to me. I was like, Oh, really? And I started, once I started doing the internships, I realized how much joy I got from it. I never really truly started pursuing acting. Um, I ended up just really jumping right into casting. Yeah, Yeah. I loved it. And, but I do think it was, I was supposed to be there. I was supposed to meet the people I did and, and it led me to where I am today and it all happened for a reason. Excellent. And how'd you get the first internship? Just out of curiosity. Oh my gosh. Okay. Like, yeah, well it was back. Oh my gosh. It was back in when I was in college and they had this thing back then. They don't have it anymore. It's called the, it was called the Ross reports. I don't know if you even remember that. I definitely have heard of it. Like, I don't know if it, this was something when I first started, people were like still talking about, but it, it definitely, I do not think it's still around or if it is, it's probably a, a different format online now, but I literally went to Barnes and Noble to like the magazine section and found this little booklet called the Ross reports. And I, and they, in there, they listed every agent every casting director and they actually and their office address and was and it I like think, a paper almost yeah like, cover. It was like a little booklet yeah, yeah. It was like a little booklet it was more and like it a came pa- out yeah. maybe like twice a year they updated yeah. it or something I mean it just feels so dated saying all this stuff because yeah. now everything's online and but no I literally to physically write a letter and I I must have just like written a, a a letter. I don't even, I don't even know if I sent an email because I probably just had, I probably didn't list an email address. Yeah, I, don't know. I probably can't not. really remember. I, Maybe. Yeah, I somehow I got in touch with, I just think I sent a bunch to all different casting directors to see what was, who was looking for an intern. And I guess somehow I can't even remember really, but must've been that Liz Lewis, the team must've reached out and said, yeah, we're hiring interns. And that was, it was a summer, um, in college that I started interning. That's great. I mean, that's when you start. It's nice to know. Like I, I didn't feel like our school gave us any direction on how to get internships that were related to any of this. So it was good that you figured out how to do that, or even just that the Ross reports existed. And then you've bounced around a lot before Gail Keller. So you went to, you know, Barton Schnee, I always say that not wrong, maybe Laura Rosenthal and Golder, Julie Schubert, yeah. who we've had on the podcast. And yes, I saw various that. Networks. And so in Jack's media pilot, I mean, that was probably maybe through Gail Keller, because I know they do a lot of stuff with Jack's media. Yes. But- so how was it bouncing around for a while? Like, is it fun to like be on new shows and be with different people? Is it much easier to have the stability of working at one office? What was your preference for a while? How did that change? You know what it is? It's like, it's a small industry in a big city. So yeah. they, everyone kind of knows each other. So once yeah. I started working for Stephanie, you know, I, she would pass my resume or my contact Mm. along to a friend of hers who was looking for an assistant, you know, because maybe she didn't need me at the time. And that's kind of how it works. I mean, I'm still technically a freelancer, you know, so I would bounce around from office to office, like you said, like Rolling Misha and Ann Golder and Patricia DeSerto. And I thought it was 
great. Like I loved it. I mean, now I'm glad to be in one place, but at the time I was young, I was still learning. I think it was a good way for me to kind of understand what particular, like what exactly I wanted and yeah. And learning all different, each casting director I've worked for has a different style of how they do it. So it was really learning everyone's different styles, which was hard because I always had to re like, you know, it wasn't like I had to adapt every time to a different system or, you know, just how they did things. But at the, but I look back on it in hindsight, I think it was great for me because it really, it, it just like opened the doors for me to kind of understand what's out there in the world of casting. And then when I, when I met Gail, who was introduced to me through Ann Golder, we, we were mm. working on, um, they partnered on a pilot man seeking woman. That's how I met Gail. And it just so happened that she ended up bringing me on for a season of Louie and then a couple other projects. And I just think I gelled so well with her and I just was so in love with the projects that she had bringing, everything was comedy, everything sort of usually had to do with some stand-up comedian involved and or just I was going to ask that because New York doesn't have a lot of comedy like most of the comedies the sitcoms are in LA but you guys are one of the couple of casting offices that that have a lot of comedy attached so I wanted to like ask you about that because that's a big I think it's a big deal there's only a couple where if someone goes yeah like what comedies are casting in the city there's only a couple offices that kind of cover them Yeah, that's all Gail. It just, you know what it is? I think when producers are looking to hire for their projects, they're always going to look to find a casting director that has already done similar things. So I think once she started building this comedy resume, it only made sense that producers who want to do comedy are going to start coming to her because that's what she starts to become known for. So I think starting off, she did Bored to Death and then Louie and, you know, inside Amy Schumer. I mean, like, you know, it really started building momentum of comedy. And yeah, I mean, like I said, it was nine or 10 years ago, I started working and I never wanted to leave. (laughs) I loved it. Even if we had breaks in between, I wasn't running to go find another Mm -hmm. job somewhere else. I made sure to just, because something always came around. And, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm talking about then when it was like, there wasn't as many projects as there is now. Now it's like, there's so many projects because of all these streaming services that it's just beyond. (laughs) This episode is sponsored by We Audition. All right. I want to introduce you to our first sponsor, We Audition. We Audition is such a great resource. I was originally introduced to We Audition because I had an audition on it. And so I made a profile and I looked at all the stuff that they offer. Not only can you potentially audition on this, but you can get a reader. If your go-to person to self-tape with is not available, get a reader on this thing, right? You can look at their reviews. You can find the person you're looking for. It's all actors who know what they're doing. You don't even have to ask your partner. You don't have to ask your sister who knows nothing about acting. You can just get a reader on We Audition. You can also make a little extra money and be a reader on We Audition. So you can charge for your services and act, which is lovely. There's also great community and advice. There's resources, actor meditation. There's these daily actor journal pages, which are so good. Highly recommend. And with my discount code, Michelle25, you can get 25% off. And that's right. Michelle25, 25% off, guys. I don't you know, say yes to everyone who wants to be a sponsor, but I really do like We Audition. Highly recommend it if you're an actor. 
So can you tell our audience the difference in your opinion between casting TV and film and then casting comedy and drama? And your answer might be like, there's no difference, but maybe there is something subtle or something particular that, you know. It's funny. I was just talking about that this weekend. I was talking to my mom about how I just did two series and now I'm about to do, I'm doing two films. And she asked me, she was like, well, so what's the difference? And I was like, well, what's nice about a a movie is that you're working with one director on one Mm. script, but in a series, you're working most likely with multiple directors on multiple scripts. So it's a lot more, you have, I think with TV, it's great because yeah, you're meeting different directors and, but the, the pacing is a little different. You know, you're going by maybe they're cross-boarding multiple episodes at a time, mm. maybe. And also you have, let's say it's 10 episodes a season that, you know, they're, they're constantly revising all these scripts. So you're constantly checking, oh, you know, did they add a character? Did they cut a character? You know, what change that affects my department, you know? Yeah. So whereas with a movie, you've got one script <laughs> and it's, you know, one director. And it's so I always say movies are a little cushier um, in terms of you have a little bit more time yeah. to cast it. You know, you're dealing with one script. You're dealing with one director. It's, it's not, I think with a series, it's awesome, but it's a little bit, there's a lot more organizing involved. For TV, are there a lot more cooks in the kitchen? Cause I kind of feel like I've spoken to a couple more episodic directors on the podcast, but it always seems like, you know, so there's the director's point of view, and then there's the showrunner who obviously gets final say. And then sometimes there's other people on the creative team. And you're like, do you have more people to kind of run things by, or do you kind of feel like it's the same? I do think it, there's more when it comes to TV. I, I do. I, I'm just thinking of how many people are on my emails. Yeah, that's like, a good way of putting it. Yeah. Yeah. Just thinking, I definitely, yeah, who, there's definitely more people on my TV. I think, yeah, with the film, it is a lot, a lot more on the director. I mean, it could, it look, every project's different. It could be yeah. more in a movie than I don't know. It could be a tiny sh- TV show. So maybe it's not, yeah. But, but yeah, I definitely think with TV there, there, like I said, there's so much more to organize and be on top of when it comes to like revised scripts right? constantly, or even just look in both of them, you could definitely have a situation where schedules are changing due to weather or kind of come up with the same thing could always come up for each one. Yeah. But, well, I, you yeah. know, actually this comes up with, to another question of mine. So you were talking a little bit about like, obviously things changing whether it's rescheduling because of the weather, whether they cut or added a character. So this actually has happened twice to me. I've been cut from two shows before I got to film it. One was for crashing. Um, And I tell people this only because, and and I actually want to know your opinion on this, but in general, I I think I might know it already because I think we've talked about it before. But I remember the first time I was cut from a TV show before I got to film, it was The Night Of. E.B. Kaufman cast it and it was a great Mm -hmm. show and they kept rescheduling. It was kind of similar to that. They kept rescheduling. They kept rescheduling. And finally they're like, you know what? We're just not actually filming this scene at all. They've cut the scene entirely. So Mm -hmm. later, and this was like a year or so later, I, I met with another agent and the agent was like, but you did get paid for that. Right. And I was like, oh Mm -hmm. no, no, I didn't. And they're like, oh, your agent should have pushed for you to get paid for that. And I was like, well, but I didn't work. I didn't. And they're like, no, but they took your time. They booked you casting knows like production knows that they would have paid you if you asked. So I always kept that in the back of my mind. And then when crashing happened, which it happens, I know it's not, Mm -hmm. it has nothing to do with me, you know, right. But at the same time, the same thing happened. And I told my agent, well, I heard that you're supposed to get like SAG protects you and you're supposed to get paid. And my agent was like, we are not to do that. 
they'll blacklist mm. you. They'll like never call no. you in again. This is what my agent told me. And I was like floored because here I'd been told by like casting as well as an agent. And so I kind of wanted to bring this up because do you feel, cause I ended up getting paid for that particular day. I think SAG, whatever got involved and you guys were so nice about it. It was nothing to do with that, but I just wanted to ask from your perspective in casting, if someone gets rescheduled or they just get cut, well, actually specifically if they get cut and if they ask you for to get paid for that one day or whatever that they were supposed to be booked for, for the fitting, because I went on the fitting, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. do you feel weird about that? Is that odd coming no. to call them in again? I just wanted to no. kind of put that out there because most people don't know this and actors get nervous about this of stuff, course. you know? Of course, I get it. I guess you get nervous. You don't want to be, like you said, like blacklisted, which is so terrible. We would never do that. I oh, think so. I think we just, I would never feel bad going to production to ask the question. I think at the end of the day, it all falls down to the SAG rule. I think any actor should feel bad to ask for something that they feel they have a right to. And then we would always get you an answer one way or the other. Yeah. And you wouldn't like look unfavorably on the actor and like not no. call them. Yeah. Okay. Just, no. I, you know, sometimes it's like the, the spread of this misinformation is what creates that like fear and anxiety and stuff. And I just like, one of the things about this podcast is I definitely just want to like relieve some of that for people. Great. No, and I understand, I understand the anxieties around it, but we're always here for you. At least I can only speak for me and I'm always there for actors and making sure that, you know, you are uh, taken care of and, and correctly given the union and, and what their regulations are. Yeah, absolutely. What is your particular process in casting a role? Obvi- I feel like there's a different process for each casting director. You talked about different styles before and just thinking about like seeing, let's say an episode of a show and you maybe write down all the breakdowns, et cetera. You get an idea, like talking to the director, whomever about their vision for it. What is your process in in casting? How do you kind of come up with how many people do you call in now? It's not call in it's self tapes, but you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like what's your process now? Yeah. Now I mean, yeah, I, I do think our, it depends on the level of the role that yeah. we're talking, discussing. Let's say it's a role that maybe two scenes in an episode of a series, we would typically you put together a breakdown, you get it approved by producers. Simultaneously, while we are releasing a breakdown, I would also start writing just my own ideas down, exactly. you know, like really going through my list of people that, you know, I think of, or, you know, try to think of maybe past roles that I cast that were similar to this and to get some my brain going to see who did I bring yes. in for that role. And really just also, and then going through breakdown submissions as well. And then at the same time, you're, once that breakdown goes out, you also have agents and managers coming to you with their pushes, you know, people that they really feel like you should be seeing. Um, and I always take those very seriously. You know, I have good relationships with a lot of agents and managers and I trust their taste. I mean, they know their clients better probably than I do. So it's good for them to say, Hey, you should really be seeing this actor because they're perfect for this. And usually I'll watch their reel. And if I agree, I'll see them as well. So it's definitely a combination of you know, the breakdown, you know, going through that submission, going through pushes that come in through agents and managers, and then writing up my own ideas and lists. I think only seeing my idea and lists of people would be really boring because it's all people I already know. So that's why the pushes and the breakdowns are so important too, because it allows me to see new people that I, and because every round of auditions, I want to continue to see new people. I want to broaden my horizons and make sure that I'm constantly you know, 
expanding my Rolodex of people that, you know, could be, cause you never know who you're going to meet and who you're going to find. And right now, first of all, that was great. So succinct. And then for like a particular role for, I mean, you're right. It, it sort of varies. So like a co-star right now, how many self-tape appointments on average do you think? And then I was going to say the same for guest star. For co-star, I would say like, we'll start maybe a first round. I don't know. with like 15 ish people, okay. maybe guest star is going to be more than that, yeah. you know, or, or like a series regular, obviously that's going to be a lot <laughs> of people. The bigger the role, the more people we're probably going to see smaller, the role, probably more of a handful, but you never know. I mean, then you have those roles that come in where it's like a co-star role, but they, you know, the role maybe changes or they want to see more options. And before you know it, you're seeing 50 people. So it's it really so depends. many people to keep you guys always, I, I feel like I admire all your memories because not only do you have to, like you said, keep your own Rolodex in your head, but at the same time, like there's just so many things to be on top of when it comes to this stuff. Yeah, it is. It is a lot, but you know what, as you do it more and more and the years go on, it becomes more second nature, I think. And even last night I was watching, I started severance with my husband Mm, and I'm sitting there. It is. Well, I only watched the first episode, but (laughs) it's funny because like I'm watching it and then like every actor that comes on the screen, like I knew their name. I knew what agent they were with. And I'm like, Oh, like, probably about five, six years ago, I wouldn't have been able to do that. Like it's, that's the thing. Like as you know, as you keep going and you keep your, the years go by, you start really just knowing a lot of actors. <laughs> it's a good, especially the shows that cast in New York. I'm sure that's just. Exa- oh yeah, exactly. At this point. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, so I have a couple actors who have asked questions for you. So I'm going to play a voice memo from them. I'm hoping you can hear oh, that's it. Cute. I like that. <laughs> yeah. I was trying something new. Okay. Hey, Allison. My name is Jenny Ann Hochberg. And my question for you is, if an actor has reps who may not be able to get them into every casting room that they wish, but the actor has the right materials, headshots, reels, etc., what is the best way for them to build a relationship with you? Mm. That's a good question. Well, I definitely think the agent doesn't have like a quote unquote relationship with me. That doesn't mean that they still can't reach out to me on her behalf. Like I definitely, I get emails all the time from agents. I may not particularly know, but that doesn't mean I just discard their emails. I I go through them. I look at this. So I don't think it's, it's a bad thing to say to your reps, like, hi, um, I would love for you to maybe send my materials to Alison Kirshner for, and I would be open to that because again, I, I don't just, I only, I don't just say, I only talk to these agents and managers, like I'm open. And then the other thing is, I think it's always great to just be involved and be uh, like, if you're doing, let's say like an improv show, like, it's always good to like, if you do have my contact or we do have, you know, if you've met me in let's say a workshop or in person, or it's always great to follow up with me and you could say, Hey, I'm in this improv show or I'm in the, you know, and just keeping me posted of what's going on. I mean, it doesn't mean I necessarily will be there at the show, but it's a way to just keep me in your mind and keep her in my mind. And just, I think it's always just trying to promote yourself as well. Like you Mm -hmm. have agents and managers who, yeah, are promoting you, but you know, you still got to keep going with what you're doing and inviting casting directors to the things you're doing or sending the web link to the web series or just showing us you're continuing to do your job and thing. (laughs) Yeah. And yeah. But like I said, I don't think there's anything wrong with asking your reps to send along materials. You know, if it's about a particular role. Excellent. Good to know. 
All right, here's one more. Hi there, this is Nathan Eleven. I wanted to ask you, now that we are in the self-tape world, do you find it an obstacle for both casting and actors that notes can no longer be given in a live room? An actor could be well-prepared with strong choices, but still be off the mark, which we can no longer get guidance for in the room on that first audition. So is there any advice that you would have for this? Well, my only advice, I think, would be to just, if you aren't quite sure, there's always it's always okay to send more than one take if you want to take two, send two different takes on the character. I think also there's just like, for me, I can only speak yeah. for me. There needs to be an understanding that like, if I, if you come in and you make a wrong choice, that doesn't mean I'm discounting you. Like if I look at you and I see that potential of, but they're still right for the role or they're still, they still gave a really good audition. I have no problem either a having you get on a zoom with me and I'll, we'll do a kind of a, a redo and together or B have just even send you notes to retape. Yeah. So like, I mean, I do that all the time. I, I, you know, I'll be like, you know what? I love what you did. There's some things I want to work with you on. Can you hop on a Zoom with me tomorrow? I, I, I don't think actors should have to overthink it. And, you know, because that's just going to drive you crazy. Like what, you know, what do they want? And got to just make your decisions, maybe send two takes. But at the end of the day, just know like, I mean, for me, I'm not discounting you if, if you just like made a wrong choice. I'm, I would more it's more just, you know, oh, maybe you're just not right for the role. Right. But if you're right for the role, I'm going to work with you on it because I want to get the role cast with the right person. So any advice to actors about what works in terms of a strong choice? Like, is there anything that you've seen that people do well? And you're just like, yes, this is something I recommend to people about making strong choices. I think it's a, I'm in comedy. So that's very specific. Yeah. So for me, it's more just seeing uh, somebody who made the right comedic choices. Maybe, you know, a lot of, a lot of my projects, especially the Apatow projects, there's a lot of improv involved. Yeah. So if you're doing amazing improv, I I think that's always just going to stand out for me and seeing somebody just also just confident in their choices. I think, Mm. yes, it's like, there's one part of, there's one part of it, like, what is the choice? But then there's also like, confidence that has to be brought along with that choice I recently this actress did this role this audition and oh my god it was so funny and she just made these this choice like she was like chewing gum really hard she had this like ridiculous outfit on she's like sipping this iced coffee it was so over the top it was so funny because she was so confident in Mm. that choice she made and yeah one other actor might do it it might be too much Right. But she did it. And I don't know the confidence she brought to it, the comedy, the improv, it was hilarious. This girl was, hel- I mean, so over the, so funny. I couldn't get over how good she Aww. was. And so I, I think, you know, it's like times like it's again, it's yes, you can make the choices, but you have to have the confidence to back it up. That's, That's great advice. Cause sometimes I feel like as actors, it's really hard because, you know, you go to like, let's say workshops and you're told, okay, you know, don't do this and, and don't bring props and don't chew gum and don't do that. But sometimes it's important for us to kind of release that and go, if we feel impo- like it's important to make a certain choice, let's not feel like bounded by these like laws that we feel like are in place, if you will. So I'm glad right. to know and- that was a great example. Right. And don't, feel like you have to always make bold choices like that. It's only when it feels right, when it feels so true to the character to you. And that's where that confidence is going to come from because it feels so true. So it shouldn't ever feel forced. But the nice thing with comedy is looser. Uh, You know, you don't always have to be on book in terms, you know, we're always, you know, our office, we're always encouraging to like, 
make it your own and just have yeah, fun with I it. Think even yeah. with the crashing audit, I mean, I've auditioned for you multiple times, but with the crashing one in particular, I think you guys just went into it. Like, I, I think I didn't even know there was improv at the end. Like, I think you guys <laughs> just kept going and I was like, this is fun. You know, like we, it's also good for us to like, have like surprises and fun and like chances to kind of just talk. Right. And it's funny to see the actor's response to it yeah. too. Cause sometimes you'll get people who are like, yeah, like, and they're in it. And then others who are like, Wait, that was doing this. That was awesome. Did I not get this copy? (laughs) Like, what's going on? Is this not page two? And then, Allison, what are you working on now? What's going? If you can talk about it, whatever you can talk about. Yeah, so I'm working on two films. One is a a Universal Apatow film and very funny, and then the other one is more of an indie film that I'm about to start up. But yeah, there. I mean, yeah, it's you know, like I said, I just did two series, and now I'm going into two films, which is kind of cool. It's a nice little change of pace. But everything has been comedy and fun and, and yeah, I just still prepping for that. Or is it casting now? uh, One I'm prepping, one I'm casting. Okay, good. So it's a little bit of a balance for you. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's nice when things are spread out to to start two projects at the exact same time would be very difficult, but you know, it's it's not, it's been done. It's It's, been done. Yes. But when I can have just a couple weeks leeway, you know, that, that's always yeah. a nice little prepping help. is little, good. Prepping yeah. is good. <laughs> exactly. Um, last and final question. I always ask my mentors, what is your definition of success? Such a heavy question. I know. Oh my God. I ask people because I feel like we have this misconception sometimes that we have to be farther than we are. And I feel yeah. like definition of success is supposed to, I think, constantly change. And so I just was curious, like yeah. where you are right now, what do you think success is? I think it's finding peace and joy in what you do, finding that. Well, obviously we, you know, success, I think is also finding a balance in life, finding that balance of work, family, and, but always, you know, taking care of yourself. But yeah, I do think success is finding peace and joy in, in what you do on a daily basis. So I love it. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on. I so appreciate you having me. And it was nice getting all these updates and your thoughts on things. Yeah. It's good to see you too. I hope you enjoyed that episode. If you haven't yet, do me a favor, drop a five-star review, follow on Spotify, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to podcasts, and find me on Instagram. I'm at at Michelle Simone Miller and at Mentors on the Mic. Share this in your stories. Let me know what you think. Share it with a friend, and I'll see you next time.